All right, folks, welcome, very much welcome, big, big welcome. What is the biggest welcome you can give someone, Jojo, to a podcast? Salutations and bienvenidos. <laughs> have you been using Babbel? I have been working <laughs> hard on Latin, I guess. No, but before Babbel comes Precision Pro, thank you so much for supporting the podcast. Head over to precisionprogolf.com slash RGC to get a discount. And if you want to get a free sleeve, use the code ERIC. And we're going to sleeve you up. Yeah, it's uh, you can put it on your rangefinder like the one Eric has in front of him. You can also put it on your wrist. Yeah, it's uh, accessories on and off the yeah, golf it's course. It's like a bracelet, basically. I think it's like play well with style. Yeah, you never want to hurt your wrist on the golf course. Precision Pro cares about your wrists. Oh, what's the worst um, golf injury you've ever had? I mean, I had I I had a drone blade go through my finger. Okay, but like you, I was on a golf course. Were you catching it? Yeah. 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 Nothing was, nothing feels better, by the way, than catching a drone. Uh well, well if it goes right. Yeah, it was like our day one of the unofficial. Mm-hmm. And so we were yeah, it was like just Wait, right through my fucking finger. So you were in Scotland? Yeah, it went right through my middle finger and it like it was deep, dude. Those are the old drones. Like they had metal wings. It was know. a Mavic. It didn't have metal wings, but I mean it's sliced and diced, dude. Yeah, and honestly, I was fine. Like, I had to, like, basically play with my middle finger out. <laughs> oh, you kept going? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, show goes on. <laughs> we played, like, I played, like, 24 rounds with, like, a piece of tape on it. It was great. Maybe this is silly, but, like, how was the drone? Drone was fine. Yeah, drone drone one, Eric's middle <laughs> finger zero. Yeah. Um, hey, look, we're very excited for today's show with Griffin. I don't even know what Griffin's last name is. Uh, Griff Pip. No. I, I promise, yeah. P-I-P-P. His name is Player in, like, what is it called? Player Impact Program. Player Impact Program. Yeah, well, he's been, he's been working hard at it. Yeah, that's not his middle name. That's his last name. Uh, that's what he is in my phone, and he put it in. So. Mr. Pip. But no, those guys and I their names. Like Pippin or something. Yeah, it's probably Pippin. Anyway, his name's Griff, and he's one of the voices behind Country Club of Jason. Very excited for you to hear the show today. We talked a lot about... I guess we talked a lot about like how hard it is to make it. <laughs> I don't know. He did go on this one like 25 minute, not rant. No, monologue. It was a beautiful monologue. And part of me was like, dude. Keep going. I support it. Keep yeah. going. In some ways it was a set. It was. <laughs> he did a set. I didn't have to pay him afterwards, but uh, and you don't either. Um, but before we get to the show with Griff, it was a great show, really funny, great guy. Um, Want to tell you about, I think one of the coolest projects we've ever done uh, either through our own like membership community engagement, um, but also our YouTube channel and also our partners. So without further ado, I want to tell you about, can we cue the sound of like a, of like a driving range machine, you know, Ooh, like, a little range servant. Yeah. Yeah. Just like just dripping balls into a bucket. I want to tell you the story about balls for what would you do if you had balls for life if you had never essentially to purchase another golf ball would you behave differently this is the question and it's eric i'm so excited because we've been talking about this for what like a month now which is a long time in the rgc world here (laughs) uh a month is essentially we're like reverse dog years or no we are dog years we're double dog years probably double dog years ddy and so right now i'm i'm actually Seven times seven, one forty-two eight. I'm six hundred. No, I'm 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 two thousand three hundred years old. Do you think Methuselah would have been a good golfer? Not sure who that is, but oldest person uh, ever ever to live. Oh, yeah. really? How old? I mean, it's biblical, but it's like 
400 years. That's a lot. Yeah, I feel like he, it's a bell curve. He would have had a great 200s. Yeah. And then might have started to tail off again. Hard, Easier to shoot your age, though, at a certain point. Who knows? I mean, like, being that old, essentially, the question in everyone's mind is, like, how long can he go, you know? Like, probably start walking differently, you know? Because at that point, it's kind of like the Rulatista. Like, you're like... The Rulatista. I got to be oh, careful. just hitting everything on a Friday morning. Go <laughs> go and watch In and of Itself. Great wow. movie. Wow. Great movie. If you haven't seen it, great. And uh, kind of like a magic trick unlimited golf balls (laughs) watch this uh so we did an incredible film that's out now with uh eight people in austin kind of like survivor meets squid game an elimination challenge where we took eight and we had five challenges to whittle it down until there was one indeed it was a man standing maybe (laughs) maybe don't want (laughs) to spoil it Jen was great. I was shocked that, well, whatever. <laughs> no spoilers. But um, yeah, a lot of different interesting challenges that you're going to see on the video today. And if you want, I would assume you would want. Maybe you don't. Maybe you don't want Well, it. this was the coolest part of it was, it, it, to back up, we decided to do this thing called Balls for Life because we wanted to give back because we made this product a long time ago. You have some in front of you. Yeah. We made these these golf balls and you can really speak more to them. What was the design this is the vice collab doodle ball where we basically try to have as much fun as we could with the design of the ball itself you know it's got all these designs on it like ace cam is live the camera uh there's like a you know divot goals there's like a a uh i don't know whether that's a weasel or a marmot jumping out of the hole um you know there's uh and then when you open the box it says aim big miss big uh, which is obviously a polar version of aim small, miss small. So, uh, rule 17B, there's a gravestone that says RIP my score, LOL. Um, you know, it's just meant to like be a child's take at sort of how we play golf, why we play golf, and really having fun with the idea of the game. So uh, basically, we found some extra balls, enough essentially to last your life. And we thought it'd be really fun if we created a way where both people at home could take part in the goals, whoop, in the Balls for Life Challenge, but also we could make an event here, honestly, mostly inspired by Mr. Beast. Yeah. Mr. Beast, like, really interesting YouTube creator. Um, I've watched a few of his videos. Apparently, I went to dinner the other night and I ran into one of my friends who was like, hey, I spent the day with Mr. Beast. And I was like, oh, really? He's like, yeah. It's crazy. Like he w- he filmed a video or he was just around? No, he was that. there like doing some branding work for him. And like, you know, he has a town in North Carolina. He owns, he's basically created like the Walmart Bentonville situation. Yeah. He, ha- he basically owns a town in North yeah. Carolina. Is he going to rename it? He should call it Beastville. <sighs> don't don't put that out of the universe because it'll come right back, you know. He'll, he'll speak it in, into existence. He has some giant warehouse. Um, he lives there. He's doing like the Elon Musk thing where he has like a little corner of it yeah. with, a, with a Spartan quarters. Reasonable. And uh, I've seen a, like a tour of it on YouTube. It's incredible what he's built. And it all came from like giving back, giving people things, challenges. Do you know how old he is? I do, yeah. He's like 26. Is he 26? Yeah. Yeah. I thought he was like 23. But that's crazy. Yeah. he's been, And he's been doing it a while. It's not like he just got onto the scene. Yeah. So anyway, um, 
We try to do our best, Mr. Beast, on YouTube today. Balls for Life Challenge. Eight people, one person will remain, and they will win golf balls for life. And the most interesting part about this is if you want to get involved, head over to our YouTube channel, uh, or probably there's a link in this podcast. Yeah, there is. Sign up. Randomgolfclub.com slash balls for life. Or you can just go to randomgolfclub.com, and we're going to pick one lucky winner to also have golf balls for life. Uh, All you need to do is go to randomgolfclub.com, and the more golf balls you buy, we have a few of these left. The more of these you buy, the more chances you have to win in our sweepstakes. Technically, it's a sweepstakes. Yeah, one of the oh, cool the one of the coolest things about it is we we honestly don't have that many balls left. Um, so we we're like, okay, well, let's just give most of them away and sell some of the other ones. So there actually aren't that many. So your chances are actually pretty good. Oh, they're uh, way better than like the lottery. Yeah, exactly. Way better than being struck by lightning. Way better than getting a hole in one. Probably better than like I don't know, winning uh, an Oscar, winning a bathing swimsuit competition, getting bit by a shark. Yep, getting bit by a shark. Probably better than like six toes. I mean, better than two birdies in a row, maybe even. Well, it depends who you are. Depends on your skill. I don't know. Definitely better than three birdies in a row. No yeah, way. Right, yeah. You're more likely to win a golf balls for life if you just go to the website. Oh, should we should we tell them the right. science? Because like you, we actually went and we. We, what you were probably wondering, like, how did you calculate? And you can find out all this stuff on the on the website. There's a cool page that was built out for it. But we looked at the average number of rounds per year. Yes. And we looked at the average amount of balls lost by, like, kind of the general golfer. Um, not as many as you would think, ultimately. And then we're like, okay, 25 years. 25 years of golf. Yeah. So as long as you're not zero years old signing up, you should have golf balls for your life. Most of your life. Just don't be stupid with the balls. Don't go giving them away. Obviously, I mean, you could actually sell them. That would be actually an interesting entrepreneurial decision. It just, just right back in our face. <laughs> sell them to like us. Put them online. <laughs> um, what was your favorite challenge? Oh, man. I mean, the most active one for sure was um, we had three contestants left on the tee and they all had their clubs and we said, you know, great that you have your clubs. You're not going to need them for this challenge. You have 15 minutes to get as many golf balls from this course and bring them back here as possible. Go. And um, I wasn't, I didn't run, I couldn't run with three different people, but I know that they came back and one of them was bleeding. The other one was covered in mud and the other one had uh, two front pockets that looked like he had stuffed like two heads of lettuce in them. <laughs> and it was just amazing to see and really the gap in golf balls uh acquired was was it was a spread i didn't really realize the difference in skill there essentially i think the the biggest skill to recoup lost golf balls is just a is a lack of uh kind of um care about your own well-being yeah you have to go to places where people wouldn't normally go yeah he they were amongst it maybe they've contracted poison ivy Maybe an STD. I don't know. There's things in those woods. I mean, it was kind of reminded me of the Game of Thrones a little bit. Like, you know, in the, uh, I don't know what scene, but just in general. I'm trying to think of which scene you'd be thinking of. All I knew was I was one of those people chasing one of the golf ball hunters around. Yeah. Uh, My guy flew in from New Jersey. (laughs) Peter. Peter flew in from New Jersey to compete in Balls for Life. Uh, He texted me at 6 a.m. the morning of, said, hey, uh, hope this isn't a problem they lost my clubs and all my clothes on the plane no problem no problem we have we we have clothes for you so he's decked out we have clubs for you um the only thing is peter 
Peter must have been a cross country runner in his past because he took me. Uh, we went we went the length of five golf holes <laughs> in that fifteen minutes. And at some point, you know, you're not allowed to give hints, but I was like, Peter, maybe you want to go in the woods, not just the fairways, to look for oh, golf interesting. balls. He was looking only in the fairways to the point where he found a ball and he picked it up, and we're running away, and someone was yelling behind, "Hey, that's my drive!" Oh my god! <laughs> so he threw it back. Obviously, I heard that. I yeah. heard from some corner of the golf course, "Put that back!" <laughs> I was like, Peter, you you can't do that. I love that. Um, that was great. The a couple other surprises from it. Wow, did it come down to it or what? Yeah, I mean the last challenge was very interesting. With uh, it was uh, we won't 1v1. say yeah we won't say who they were. No, but. of course not. But it was one v one, and they had to uh, basically elimination if you make a double, right? So they had to basically go around and play bogey golf, which we thought. I don't know. I guess maybe I make more doubles, but these guys went hole after hole after hole, pars and bogeys, and um, and then it looked like it was going to be close. And then we were just like, all right, we've been out here too long. We're just going to do one hole of just straight up match play. And then it got interesting. It got very, <laughs> very interesting all of a sudden. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to play golf on camera. That was our rationale, was doubles are easy, and the course we were playing at, sneaky tough. Yeah. And they were just grinding out bogeys. It was an incredible day. Honestly, it was one of the most fit, fun videos we've ever made, I think. I can't wait to see the finished product. I can't wait for you to watch it. Um, and I also can't wait for you to take part. And I can't wait to tell the story of the second person who's going to win Balls for Life along with Beep. Yeah, we're going to be sending you those golf balls. Uh, we'll be FaceTiming you to let you know. We'll probably send you some other like little special things from RGC. Um, and we like would love bills. to hear your story. Send them an invoice. Yeah, we'll send you an invoice with a golf tax yeah. bill. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, know. you know, just the just the fine print. No, obviously some documents that need to be organized. Just get us a visa. Honestly, that we need that a would help. go to market strategy for. I don't even. I found out. I've never heard that phrase. GTM. Yeah, I don't know if I like it. How do you feel about when? Because when we talk to a lot of people who talk business, I always feel like new phrases get added to the office vocabulary. Man, it's crazy. And they just take over. I just like to make up phrases. I heard you start to say rough trade, and then it was like you really started to say rough trade. Yeah. It means like, I don't know. Rough trade means like no idea, right? Uh, yeah. I don't – rough trade. Rough, roughly. Roughly speaking, yeah. rough trade is, uh, is, is rough. For me, uh, align. I don't, know if, I don't know if anyone listening uh, has heard the word align so often that they feel Malign. misaligned. Yeah. One of my favorites is um, – is, uh, High level. <laughs> my actually, my favorite is offline. Offline. Because I was in an off. I was in an in-person meeting the other day, and someone said, uh, "We can offline about this later." Yeah. And I was like, "We're we're not online right now." Are you not? Oh, it was only two of you. No, it was it was like three people sitting at a desk, and we so we were like, "Oh, so how offline can you get?" Was it was it Natalie Lennox? I mean, Natalie, I love you so much. It was. I her. hope you, I hope you're listening right now. She's not listening. <laughs> <laughs> balls for life um any last kind of parting words about it we can um, offline about it later I okay we'll offline ult- about balls ultimately life. a lot of stuff coming first up is which you know top line rough trade golf balls for life go to market strategy there's a lot of synergy here yeah you know as long as we're aligned on the golf balls for life uh, strategy of the market that we're going to go to if you are a, like a mckinsey consultant a and you're listening to this podcast right now hit us up <laughs> hello at randomgolfclub.com yeah we're looking for someone with b to bc experience EBITDA? to uh to uh take the EBITDA and turn it around <laughs> and uh 
you know, we just need, uh, we need to get, we, we can work on this async as we synchronize. Hey, uh, this podcast was obviously recorded before Monday. Mm. Um, Eric. We offlined about it. Do you want to just give some spoiler-free predictions about what's happening in Succession last night? <laughs> Holy shit. Uh, we might need to, we might need to, uh, yeah, I mean, I might, I might need more data on that one. Yeah. I mean, I don't know, dude. Like I don't really go in thinking what's going to happen. I'm very peaceful with whatever happens. Is this how you are with, with most shows? Is this how you were with balls for life when we filmed? Were you just like, no, because I was involved in it. So I was, I had a lot (laughs) of thoughts. (laughs) What was the worst? Like, did any part of you going into a, like, wow, something could like really go wrong. Someone could like fall in a river. Well, when someone came back from the searching for balls and said they needed to go to the hospital, I was concerned. They were joking. Yeah. Which, you know, like, <laughs> I guess I could see how that could be funny if you were the one saying it. But hearing it, I was like in very a, nervous. In a different role, yeah. No, I was good. like, we're going to need to offline about that with our <laughs> lawyer. <laughs> now, um, you know, it was, it, there wasn't really, you know, every, everything about that day was great. I think, um, yeah, I think uh, high level though, like it's a great vid and it's a great challenge. And we're looking forward to doing more of those. Actually, I have an idea. Um, if you're listening and you have an idea of a challenge that you'd like to see, or like, uh, you know, kind of like a like a giveaway you'd like to see, like we want to make that video. Yeah, our friend Luke, um, who might be listening, hi Luke, uh, had an idea a while ago about like a saboteurs challenge. That was a lot of fun. Which Luke Adams? Yeah, yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah, I've been thinking about that for a bit, but I I think the most fun we're always experimenting with live person event events. And I think you were mentioning this to me on the golf course. Like I've been doing some dead people events, bro. <laughs> You've been offlining with That's dead people. Way cheaper. You, you see yeah. dead people at events? Offline. Um I'm like, you're offline. <laughs> do you ever podcast and just your leg falls asleep like mid pot? All the time. I think it's that chair. Yeah. Yeah. Your leg is offline, bro. My leg is very your, much off. Your leg definitely needs yeah. a go to market strategy and it needs like some type of uh integrated marketing strategy to get online <laughs> just like holding it up i got yeah. i got the pins and needles yeah. your leg might need a one-on-one <laughs> <laughs> going out on a limb here yeah I, <laughs> yeah i'm just enjoying the biz talk you know what i mean okay you know yeah. what apparently you want to hear something funny yes this the other day um if you really don't know what to call somebody mm-hmm. and you're not ready that you want to commit to their place on the org chart you just call them a head Oh, like if you're not ready for their hierarchical position. Yeah, you just say head of whatever. Head of, oh, as opposed to like director or... Yeah, director, manager, oh, VP, uh, all those things. That's why I'm... Head is completely vague. That's why my business card says head of podcasting. Is that why, <laughs> <laughs> why you did that? You should say head of body. <laughs> head of body. <laughs> head of Head Jojo of table, yeah. <laughs> Dude, that's funny, man. Yeah. Um, God, you know, I went out last night to get dinner at this new Israeli place. Talk to me. <laughs> at at uh, Ezop. Have you heard of it? I have. I've never been. Yeah, it was good. Um, yeah, I was out, uh, you know, with a, fr- a new friend, and um, she, was like, uh, she was like, do you have a dog? Wow. And I was like, ah, oh, it like totally fucked me up. You know what I mean? Like, I was like, I couldn't, and I was like not ready to be like, really go into it but i was and it was just this like weird thing where it was like because basically everyone in my life knows 
mm-hmm. right? So it's very much like clear, like, okay, cool. Like, you know, I understand, you know, that you miss him. We're on the same page. But it, this was kind of like needing to re-explain both our like finding of each other, our living together, and then like him leaving. It was very, it was very noticeable. Yeah. What point in the conversation did that come up? Like halfway. Halfway through. And, yeah. and then did it just change? Like was, did you get back on track or were you kind of knocked off? I mean, I told her we'd need to offline about it another time. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, actually though, sorry, I had to bring that up because I saw our snowball hat in the corner. But you know, I didn't tell you this. Okay. I didn't tell you this. No idea. What are you going to say then? Two nights ago, mm-hmm. um, I went to bed on the later side, I think like 1230 or so. I know. You were texting me succession clips right up to that point. Yes. So do you know what happened in my sleep that night? Do not. I met Kieran Culkin. You had a lucid You had a lucid celebrity meeting dream? Yeah. And so we were at a party mm-hmm. and we were in some type of back room and there was like, um, you know, it was like... It's kind of this antechamber that was quite large. It was a very gothic themed location. And um, yeah, we started talking, you know, and, um, you know, we were talking about golf and then we were talking about um, the show or whatever. And look, Kieran Culkin's not my favorite character on the show. Yeah, those following along, this is uh, Roman and Succession, Macaulay Culkin's uh, brother from Home Alone. Yeah. He's kind of been in, in and out of Hollywood for a long time. Very talented actor. Yeah. Kind of plays an oddball sort. Yeah. And um, at one point, and then Tom Wamsgans comes up. Matthew McFadden, let's, <laughs> let's fucking go. So we're all talking. And honestly, I just want to meet Jeremy Strong. Yeah, you've been, you've been team Kendall. I align very deeply with Kendall's uh, situation in many ways. Oedipus Roy, yeah. Yeah, I mean, he's just, you know, like he, I think the main theme of secession is honor among thieves. I've never heard that. I quite like that. Did they have you heard that anywhere? That's coming from you. No, I haven't read anything about it. all I've all I've read is the text messages that you and I have passed around around Ficret and anything. But I, I really think it's like, hey, there's a point at which you can lie and there's a point at which you cannot. And that's why I don't like Shiv. Is because she has no boundary. Like she there's no, she trusts no one. And is it I mean, one of the greatest names for a character in the history of I mean of it's essentially the nickname for a knife. Yeah. <laughs> dark siobhan so what'd you say to what'd you say to um kieran when i finally um you know we were just shooting the shit basically and we were making plans to hang out we exchanged numbers and Have you uh, ever thought about what would happen like if you had a dream and someone gave you their number and wait did i tell you about the multiple times i've had dreams like this and they've come true no i didn't tell you about the Wahlberg story you never told me about the Wahlberg story i know you met Wahlberg on a on a range Right. I met him on the range at 7 a.m. It was an empty range. He's lefty. I'm righty. So I was on the left edge of the range facing an empty range with Wahlberg in the distance. He was facing me. And basically 20 minutes go by and I'm like trying not to like, you know, pay any attention. And he walks by me and he goes, hey, big fan. Love your show. And I was like, whoa. I was like, I'm supposed to say that to you. And he was like, ha ha. He's like, that's cool, man. Yeah, I love the show. You travel around. I was like, yeah, yeah. Thanks, man cool wow and i didn't think anything of it and then that night at dinner i was telling someone about the story and i realized that the night before i had that dream i dreamt that i met mark Wahlberg on a golf course and he was like dude respect that's some alan watts shit right there oh yeah it's so bizarre yeah like as i say it i don't even believe myself but like 
It, that's definitely what happened. Do you, you believe that? Like, do you believe that that's possible, or do you think that's? Well, you know what? Here's something funny: is last night I had already made plans, but on my way to dinner, someone invited me to a party, and I thought to myself, "What if I go to the party tomorrow?" <laughs> think about it. Yeah, I mean that would that's the simplified version. That's the okay. Like I'm doing something cause and effect, but why wouldn't the why wouldn't the things we think we don't have control over? Space-time continuum, baby. Well, it's all happened at the same like, time. Like, what if I went to the PGA Championship on Monday <laughs> after it had finished? And tried to break 90? <laughs> <laughs> no, I just wanted to watch the event. Like, like who says yeah. an event absolutely takes place at a certain time and place? This might be like uh, non-sequitur. But it makes me think of what you're telling me about the guy, and we need to find that footage. Weren't you telling me about some guy? Oh yeah, 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 who plays golf without a ball? Plays golf without a ball. Yeah, we have it. It's on the hard drive. Let's find it today. Let's let's find it. D- describe that day. Oh my god, I somehow found out about this guy who, when I was doing like these little clips about golf and meditation and just unusual golf stuff, and well, that's when I found the golf ball hunter, um, amongst other characters, the author of Zen Golf. But I found out about this guy, gosh, I can't remember his name, but he played golf regularly without a golf ball. And so he would literally, all the equipment, golf shoes, he had tees, he would tee up a ball with no ball. And he would put it down in the dirt and then he would do his, get his routine together and then he would legitimately swing and look. And he would, very often he was like, I didn't hit it that great. And so at the end, he would like make a bogey with an invented golf ball. I think he made one birdie, a couple pars. He made more bogeys than I thought. Like he, I was surprised at how bad he was without even playing with the ball. What was his miss? <laughs> High right. <laughs> yeah. Which is, it was, we played a nine, we played Roosevelt, but like, yeah, I mean, we need to find that footage. Even yourself talking about it, we played Roosevelt. <laughs> you did? No, I'm saying like uh, the way you're speaking about oh, this. Yeah. <laughs> like, you had a good match? <laughs> yeah, I don't think we played a match. It would be very hard to score for me. Like, it would it'd be a little suspect. He, uh, he, this is the obvious bit, but he did have golf balls for life. <laughs> <laughs> and just to be clear... We're not offering you the illusion of a golf ball. It's like one of those. It's like a Tony Robbins talk where like each and every single one of you can get golf balls for life if you only put the ball back in your bag. You just need to change the way you see balls. You know, you just need to change your perspective around golf. You need to believe that that ball can last forever. Or it's like a ball that has a 300-yard string on it. Yeah, a spoon for every bite. Yeah, or the string is attached to the club. I mean, oh God, that, that can work. <laughs> like a yo-yo. Just can't come back. Yeah, but uh, but anyway, yeah, so I did finally meet Kendall. At the end of the dream. Yeah, and he was, you know, <laughs> like you've told me some of the reports, he was in character. He was very much method acting. He was still method, even though the show has long since ceased production. There's some great stories of method acting over the years. Obviously, Kendall, Jeremy Strong's, um, his he's the protege, his mentor of some respects, his, his paragon of, of acting is Daniel Day-Lewis. And Daniel Day-Lewis, when he was younger, he was doing a, have you heard the story? He was doing Hamlet on stage. Nope. 
And in the beginning of Hamlet, the Hamlet sees his father mm. on the battlements. And Daniel Day-Lewis, his father had passed away at that point. And he said he legitimately saw his ghost on stage. Wow. And he had to quit the play. <laughs> he was too good. Yeah, he was he he was performing it. I think with like Tim Roth mm. on in Ireland at somewhere, and he uh, dang he was like, yeah, it, it I, I saw I saw my father. He was there, and the reporter was like, okay, yeah, that's like an interesting analogy. And Daniel was like, no, he was there. Obviously, space time continuum, but yeah, it's sad that he quit. I well, feel like that's like, I feel like that was like a green light. That was, red light. that was like lean in. <laughs> yeah, dude. Also, like, no one said ghosts are bad. I'm so with you on this. Was his dad an actor? Mm, I don't remember. I don't think so. That would be amazing. I'll look it up. I thought he was like a tradesman of some sort. Mm. But uh, Maybe if, he was like a stagehand. If you know at home, <laughs> you're still listening to this podcast. Hey, come on. No, I think, I think people are. Oh, uh, last thing before we go to Griff. What are you doing in four days? What are you doing in four days? Uh, what are we doing in doing four the days? the same thing. Yeah, which is, well, one of us will be trying to break 90 or or in some respects play at a major championship venue. It won't be me. One of the Rota courses that I've never seen, been to, don't know much about. Uh, Royal Liverpool, we're going to go there and play a little bit of golf. Uh, maybe Peter Finch is going to join. A couple friends. Um, Al, our ambassador from London. Oh, we're going to have a blast. Yeah, I'm so excited. I love, obviously, I haven't spent very much time over there golfing of any sort but just i want to spend more time in the united kingdom on golf courses mm. why uh it's the style of golf yeah um it's the history yeah. obviously speaks speaks strongly to me and then it's also just the customs and ideals and, and cultures and everything about it sounds wonderful sunset will be 10 10 p.m we have a, a 5 20 tea time so we're going to be getting that last light. Oh, that's sick. The clubhouse will be closing at like 4.30, but the, pe- oh, wow, the really? people who brought us out were like, hey, we just want you to know, like everyone's going to leave, but you guys can stay. Oh, wow. That's amazing. And that just makes me really, <coughs> really, Sorry. really, really happy to, to hear. You need to mark my sneeze. <laughs> Your sneeze has been I marked. think it's marked. <laughs> we need to get snacks. For broil. Oh, for the, the, the day. Yeah, where are we going to have dinner? That's the hardest thing about going to the UK is everything closes early. Yeah, well, you know, follow the follow the empire and all that. Yeah. Can't, can't. Again, you know, Daniel Day-Lewis, he could have changed things, you know? What if he acted like a king? What if uh, Jeremy Strong ended up being uh, the CEO of Fox News in like five years? Are there Honestly. any stories of method acting where they just stayed in character as a businessman? <laughs> well, I mean, like Reagan. <laughs> Great call. Schwarzenegger. It's a great call. <laughs> Jeremy Strong as president would be so, so bad. Oh my God. And he's like under Murdoch's finger. Yeah. He'd be like, um, yeah, uh, yeah, no, all good on Iran. Yeah. Whatever. All good. Whatever. Yeah. They're like, uh, sir. Yeah. I just started watching it over again. Yeah, so now I'm on insane. episode three when they're like, we have a debt problem. I think it's so funny that you started the show a long time ago and we're out on it. Yeah, and I realized why I was out on it now. Was it because you started on season three? My leg is asleep. No, I started watching um, in in episode one. Mm-hmm. It was basically t- 
Tom Wamscans was why I stopped watching the show. He was too hard to watch. His 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 uh, interactions with um, Logan were just too offensive. You know the watch, um, and the uh, the like when he was like proposing to Siobhan in the hospital oh, yeah. and then trying to talk to Marsha about like job security. Like they were so incredibly offensive and cringy that I was just like, I cannot watch this. And then also it was just Logan and Le- Lo- Logan to Greg, you know, like, um, yeah, I just couldn't get down with it. Yeah, it is. It is an interesting thing. They set up right at the beginning. It's a very hard start. Um, there are, you know, there's there's this this anti-hero trend in shows, and Game of Thrones obviously was big on this, where, like, you don't have to like anyone, but Game of Thrones always had people you liked. Sure. It always had Jon Snow. It always had Arya Stark. Yeah. Even, you know, even Jamie, who you were supposed to hate, yeah. but also love. Succession really said at the beginning, fuck all these people. You're not going to like any of them. Yeah. Even Greg at the beginning is, like, not likable so much as comic. <laughs> like, when he's on the bed, looking at the slippers, and he's like, I'm trying to strategize with you, Mom. Yeah. Yeah, it was interesting. Like and and really like the whole concept of uh Yeah, yeah. It was it was just like what's funny is even in episode two, it's like this the show just goes over the same conversation, which gets really old really quick, which is I think it should be me. I don't. Who should it be? That person. They can't do it. What about this? Why are we talking about this? We need to. And it's just like, whoa, dude. That's like the whole Yellowstone in 10 seconds thing. Like, you know, um, but obviously it's it pays off. Yeah, I mean, it lays the groundwork. Yeah. Which just like Balls for Life does. A lot of groundwork. For the rest, rest of your life. No more hunting for poison and ivy. No more climbing trees. Yeah, and if you don't win Balls for Life, uh, you can also just remove the golf ball from your life entirely. And uh, we need to find that video. We need to find it. Let's find it right now. All right, everybody. Enjoy the show with Griff. We'll see you in either uh, England, Norway, Finland, or Pebble Beach. Hey, can we announce the Pebble Beach thing? Yeah, absolutely. Well, when did the the email already went out? Email went out, yeah. Right. Okay. So if you're listening to the show and you have a bag tag, a physical bag tag with your name on it, not the bag tag kit, but this is the personalized bag tag with a member number, we have sent you an email. So check your inbox if you didn't get it. Um, you have an invitation to join us at Pebble Beach for the breaking series. Um, so that's something that we're offering only to the bag tag holders. Um, question I'm sure you have is when are you going to re-release the bag tags? The answer for that is soon. We're hoping uh, this summer sometime. We have ordered all the bag tags. We've got the engraver here on site, which is really exciting. Today we're going to do a test with it. And um, we're going to launch membership very soon. So we're going to create a way for the global random golf club community to meet itself locally wherever you are and play games and have events and take part in tournaments and um, message each other and the whole kit and caboodle. Come to Pebble Beach, go on buddies trips. So uh, stay tuned for that. But specifically, check your email if you've got a bag tag. We have sent you an email. I guarantee it. If you bought a bag tag and you didn't get an email, Hit us up. Email us. Yeah, let us know. Email me, kendallroy at gmail.com. I wonder who gets that email. It must be a person. I bet Jeremy Strong has. <laughs> he's <laughs> he in, it. He's in character. I mean, of course oh. he does. Uh, and this might sound crazy because how could it get better than Pebble Beach, but we already know where we're going next, and we want to get you involved. So make sure you join. Make sure you become a member. 
Um, these are our favorite things to do. This is my favorite thing to do. I was on the phone with an RGC member in Norway yesterday, and he was like, hey, I got that email. Oh, cool. Yeah, he was like, uh, I, I ran out to, it's, it was late there. He's like, I ran out to my car and got my bag tag out so I could write my number down. Hell yeah. And I was like, yeah. Hell yeah. We'll let you know. Yeah, and, and just to be totally clear for you listening, there is no way to become a member now. So stay tuned. If you're not on our email list, sign up. We're going to get that hooked up pretty soon. Um, and we've got more bag tags. It's a new design, new zine, whole new member kit. Um, so hold tight on that. Stay close. Stay focused. And folks, stay thirsty. Can Here's Griff. That, that dose at geese? Um, stay thirsty, my friends. Yeah, I mean. Yeah. Wow. It, he golfs, right? I don't know his name. The most interesting man in the world. Yeah, we used to have the same agent for a while. Yeah, let's uh, let's see if we can get that going. You know, let's, I think he let's likes add it on. If he doesn't like golf, he certainly will. <laughs> All right, stay tuned for the show. See everybody. Kepper, how much do you like concerts on a scale of one to ten? Uh, 9.5 out of 10. And do I have news for you. GameTime.io is going to literally save your life. Do you book tickets last minute or do you plan ahead? Oh, last minute, every single time. GameTime can help you out with that. You know why? Why? Because <laughs> they have exclusive flash deals on tickets for football, baseball, basketball, concerts, comedy shows, theater, and more. The game time guarantee also means that you'll always get the best price. So if you find tickets in the same section, in the same row for less, they'll give you 110% of the difference. So that means you could basically make money. I don't know if that's what you're into, but ultimately... You can snag tickets without the stress using GameTime. Download the GameTime app, create an account, and use the code EALSHOW for $20 off your first purchase. I tell you what, I'll bump into that, Kefir. JoJo, you're here, too. Say what's up. Kefir! Let's go see a show. Let's go see one. I uh, I know I said this another time. I saw the Round Rock Express. Have you ever been to the minor league Austin team? No. I use GameTime. I don't leave the house at night. I use GameTime for that as well. Really, I I got uh, I got sick tickets in the fourth row behind the plate. For, have you been using my code? I have not been using. Your you code. know, if you use my code, you get twenty dollars off. <laughs> I e -A -L I show. should be using your code because <laughs> we're friends with uh, we're friends with Game Time. But twelve dollars tickets, and then my friends didn't use Game Time, and theirs cost twenty four. Losers. Yeah. Did you tell them? I did. Yeah. Basab. I did. Yeah. Yeah, Basab. You know, like he was the first out in the Balls for Life video. He was the uh, sacrificial. You know. He was the sacrificial. He was the torch, the Olympic torch. you tell torch. him to hit it long? No, he did that dramatically all on his own. <laughs> anyway, back to game time. If you create an account and use the code EALSHOW, you will get $20 free. Actually, it's more like towards your purchase. So download game time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price, guaranteed. We're going to go to a show. What's it going to be? Here, everyone. Can I, can I pick the show? Yeah, yeah. Here we go. There's Drake. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, Weezer. Uh, right, well, we'll go do that. In the meantime, I've only seen MotoGP. Download the Game Time app. Twenty dollars of your first purchase. Think about it like you get a free ticket, basically. So take your loved one and love that take. Watch a show. Yeah. Well, we'll go. EAL show. Thank you. Thanks, Game Time. You guys are awesome. Ah, oh, hello, Fresh. Can we play some springtime music here? Do you like my hello, Fresh? Man, sixteen free meals plus free shipping. Can you believe that? I love it when you do a second ad and you just change the tenor. You know, a lot of people, they just go one speed for their ads. No, dude. You're always like, oh, this one. Actually, this one. Someone's whispering. That, we could just do these on AI, but I really, oh, Slack's got oh. something to say. Uh-oh. Slack's trying to say, hey. Yeah. Don't Slack off. Just get off Slack. Just 
Well, I mean, Slack could be. Should we turn this into a Slack ad? Give him a. I don't think that's what HelloFresh is looking for. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get back into HelloFresh. Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> it's food. <laughs> I mean, come on. You already know what it is. It's a food delivery service. No, I'm into it. I've been using it, and I love uh, food. Yeah, but what HelloFresh does uh, better than anyone else is mm, really good ingredients. Yeah. Very good meals. Yeah. And uh, you can feel like a chef without all the added burden. Without being a crazy person. Without being a crazy person. Without getting into fights in the kitchen. Yeah, without getting those tattoos on your knuckles. Without needing to wonder about your overtime. Yeah, without straining peanut oil into a crevasse behind the parlor. It's all of the joys of the chef without the sweat. It's like having that rat in your hair guiding you along French cuisine, yeah. but never needing to take a shower. Yeah. It's like the chef, but you can do it without any clothes on. That's actually written here in the copy. Yeah, it's, it's extra fresh. Extra fresh. The cool thing about HelloFresh, aside from being a sick pickup line, is that you get no more scouring the grocery store <laughs> to complete your recipe. HelloFresh takes away all that hassle by delivering fresh, pre-portioned ingredients so you have exactly what you need so that on the date that you scored by coming up to, going up to somebody with the best pickup line in the world, you can, you can seem like a chef without all the stress. Yep. Uh, That's the tagline. W- what I would recommend is this may um, go up to a person who you care about and uh, who cares about you and say, Hello, fresh. Hello, fresh. And then cook them dinner. And actually, it also works if you're not on a date. For example, if you're hosting a get together, you can go to the Hello Fresh market and you can get crowd pleasing apps, not iOS apps, food apps, mouth apps, snacks, sides, and even more for your next gathering. And not only that, if you're a listener of this show, what do you get? Whoa. Um, you get, well, holy shit. It's something special, isn't it? You guys know what you got? 16 free meals. Like what? Yeah, plus free shipping. So you're saying that for no cost at all, all I have to do is type in a code and I don't have to like think about dinner for the next two and a half weeks. I actually, I do use HelloFresh. And so if you go to HelloFresh.com slash E-A-L show 16, that's the number 16, literally one six, E-A-L show one six. By the way, when I was 16, I never thought I would be sitting here doing this. But here we are. When I was 16, I never thought I'd be here. Yeah, and you are still not yeah. 16. Use the code EALSHOW16 for 16 free meals plus free shipping. And check out America's number one meal kit. Hello, Fresh. You, you, have, a, you, have, a show, you have two shows tonight. Yes. And how long is each show? Uh, 90 minutes a show. What? I'm not doing 90 minutes oh, personally. Like, that's like a special. Yeah, I'm on the lineup doing maybe 20 minutes a show, 25. Okay. And uh, so stand up. That's a big part of your life. Would you say that's how you kind of define yourself? No, I wouldn't say. I definitely wouldn't say define myself as a stand-up. I define myself as someone that wants to wake up and create stuff that makes people happier using comedy. And that's you know, there's no one way to do that. But I do it in the golf course. I do it on the camera. Um, stand-up is one leg of that, if you will. Um, and that's how I got into comedy. And that's how I got into. That's how somehow I got onto the Eric Anders Lang show. <laughs> the journey of stand-up has led me there. I remember doing, I'm three years ago doing just, that's all I was doing is stand-up, watching your videos, and, and that's led me here. Um, and, did, and did golf ever make its way into your routine? I 
Or is it not relatable enough at large? Yes, to the second part of that. And I've experimented with everything. And it just, it, it's always fallen flat. It's just kind of like, there's it's not exciting as a topic. And the, it, we were talking about Robin Williams earlier because I'm, I'm reading his biography. He did the one bit on golf yeah. and knocked it out of the park to the point where it was like, all right, that topic's done. Yeah. You're not going to do a better bit on golf than Robin Williams. Yeah, so I guess zooming out, like his bit is sort of explaining the absurdity of the game to anybody. Yeah. So anyone can laugh at that. Yeah. It's not insider golf humor. No, and if you were an avid golfer like us, that bit's, you can still enjoy it because it's Absolutely. the brilliance of Robin Williams. But if you were an insider, I, I'm not going to sit there and say one day I might not write a one-man show for a golf crowd. Yeah. That you would need to be a very serious golfer to get these jokes. You may do that, is what you're saying. Yeah. I think that's what you said. It's very, very, very niche. Yeah. And you'd have to be a serious golfer to get these jokes. But it, because it's so niche, you're like, oh, my God. Yes. Steve does that. Speaking to the speaking to the audience. Right? Yeah. Like, like okay. oh, I do that. Right. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. I didn't even think about I did that. Yeah. An hour of you thinking of like, oh, my God. So, uh, like, right now in your material, what's the joke that just crushes? I am, like, I, I will just absolutely dump my whole act every few years. You just throw it out? Disgusted with it. Huh. And I've been doing comedy almost 15 years, probably around there. And <clears throat> I'll crush stages and slaughter but i've never been happy with it and i honestly don't feel like i found my real voice so like uh like i don't know if there's one bit that crushes right now but it's the voices and characters okay the people in crowd work it's there's just certain elements that people always come up after a show and say this is the thing it's either crowd work or i really roast the audience or it's a character it's just like I've nailed down. Right. What like uh, what characters are, are you think the most interesting? Like I go back home because I'm southern, and I go back home, and I'm just blown away. Even when I go back home, I'm like, "How do you guys sound like this?" <laughs> I, I'm just like, "This is really your voice." Like my my uncle's voicemail, for instance. He's like, "Hi, this is Bill. Please leave your voice and name uh, your your name and number at the uh, at the beep." And I'm like, I listen to that, and I can just tell things by his accent. Like, I can hear that. Hi, this is Bale. And I can just know he's never even tried Indian food. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, I can just hear that and know that. You know, like, he's the, I can, please leave your name and number. I can hear that. He's the same type of guy that's like, sunscreen, that's for gay people. <laughs> and he's like, Austrians are from Australia. Like, I don't even have to know you but i can hear that in your voice yeah so it's just like diving into these um these people i've met in life and these characters um there's cues that those are those are your context clues yeah and again i'm i'm reading robin williams biography and it's kind of struck a chord with me and it's like when i'm on stage i don't I kind of don't want to i don't like i'm not comfortable just me talking and being myself i want to escape and have other people talk for me up there. I right. know that probably sounds like a multiple personality disorder. 
Um, but I, uh, I'm more comfortable when I'm a, another character and I feel better. I feel like I'm being a better entertainer and that's a journey to try to figure all that out. Right. You know, cause just as a, a stand up purist, some people would look at Dave Chappelle and say, he's just telling brilliant jokes and insight about society. And I have nothing but respect for that. But for me, it's always been like, I love the art form, but I'm not a, I'm not a, a classic, you know, it's, it's almost a sketch show, but formatted in stand up. So I'm trying to figure that out. Right. Right. Yeah. That's interesting. So it's like, uh, there's more of a, it sounds like there's more of a performative element kind of like, you know, and, and I think Jake and I talked a bit about Steve Martin. Yeah. Steve, you know, and I read his, his book. Um, and Steve knew very well. He's like, I, he even said like, I'm not talented. I'm not that funny, but I, but he made an incredible career. So I got arenas in the seventies. Um, you know, and, and yeah, for me, I'm like a performer, yeah. you know, you're not coming to me for the brilliant, insight or uh commentary on what's going on in society but there i'm a performer if you like on my instagram page it's all golf characters yeah and i'm putting that into a stand-up format somehow like a character that you we've all met out there in the wild yeah a person where you go oh i know someone like that yeah okay i'm glad somebody was able to do it and and like bring that character back on stage and make me relive that moment well, there is like a lot of, especially as the, you know, our, our worlds become more globalized and we become more like whatever it is, able to travel. You can see different types of movies and TV shows now. I mean, you know, whatever the, uh, you know, the, the Korean film Parasite, right? Like that was very popular here. Like I don't, I don't know that in a previous generation we were absorbing that much um, of like another country's culture. And so this like stereotypical humor is uh, I think it's more and more poignant, you know, like people, it's kind of like the bigger the world, the smaller the world gets, I guess, you know, the more that it's like, oh, that's like, it's like a way of kind of, uh, you know, I guess joking about different types of humor. Did you ever see Avenue Q? No, Avenue Q? I feel like you would love it. So what? Th what's this movie about? Uh, it's a. It was a musical and um, it was written by the same guys that did, God, am I wrong in saying South Park? Or no, Sesame Street. Okay. One of the two. Maybe I'm both. On board. Maybe both. I'm on board. And it was all about the different cultures that exist in New York City and like how they kind of, uh, you know, have to coexist. And they were all sort of making fun of each other in a very like, um, you know, like equal way. Like equal, right. you know, everyone's equally offensive kind of was the, was the, maybe the thesis. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. You know, they, they used to, like Don Rickles and all these roasters, you say, I'm an equal uh, opportunity offender. Yeah. And nobody was ever really getting their feelings hurt because it's like you're all under fire. Yeah. And and same for us when we're on a tee box doing the back off challenge. You know, somebody said it really well uh, at a member guest we were at. He's the great thing about the back off challenge is everyone's naked. Yeah. Status goes out the window. I don't care who you are. You're on that tee box. You're all the same. No one's above or below anyone. You're all just getting on that tee box and you are you, you're you're vulnerable yeah and on some level it probably works the best with people who think that they're kind of uh yeah. above well, like with pro athletes or executives or whatever what's interesting about that and we've yeah we've had ceos pro athletes celebrities 
the more important or famous they are, the more they like it. Because yeah. they're around yes men all day <laughs> that never would dare say anything negative to them. Yeah. Ever. Ever. They're treated like a legend everywhere they go. And we're like, I don't care who you are. Right. I'm not a big baseball guy. Right. I don't care about baseball. When I met Johnny Damon, I just destroyed him. Yeah. After like the second hole, he goes, Jesus, buddy, I have a pulse. And I'm like, I don't care. And a lot of people, and if you, if he goes to Boston, are going to be like, oh my gosh, it's Johnny Damon. I'm like, I don't care. Yeah. You know, uh, and, and there's just some people where I'm just like, I don't, you know, you're a human being. Yeah. Like Tiger you, you Woods is you a human being. You deserve to be roasted. Yeah. Tiger Woods is a human being, but it, it, some people that's hard to process. Have you tried to visualize what roasting Tiger would look like? Many times. It'd be hard. That would be a hard one. It because he's heard, I don't. I think he's heard everything. Because he also is a controversial character, but everyone wants to love him. Right. I don't know if anybody's had the balls to say some of the stuff that we, you know, like Tiger. Wait, hold on before you swing. There's a there's a Perkins waitress coming over. You know, if you said, I don't know if anybody said that to him. Yeah. While playing with him, but. I'm sure there's a way to get to him, but he's so competitive. I'm sure he'd try to block it out. I think it would also be, yeah, you're right. I mean, he has that skill. I think it'd also be hard for him, like, on camera to laugh at himself. Yeah, there's so many elements there that I don't know. It, I'd need to get in, like, 10 rounds. Yeah. And get him in the right moment and place. I don't yeah. know, but, you know, I'm putting I mean, it out there. that's your Super Bowl right there. Yeah. Dude, that would be, I would love to see that. Yeah. So, um... Okay, so you know you're you're from where in the South? I'm from Oklahoma. And okay, is that the South? Will, some people will sit there and I go, "Wait a minute, that's not the Midwest." It's, it's, it's not. It, I no, the South is like the Bible Belt around Nashville. In yeah. Oklahoma, is very much the buckle of the Bible Belt. So if you I look at different maps, people will argue it's part of the South or it's part of the Southwest, uh, especially culturally, very Southern. Isn't it's it part not of the Midwest plains? At all. Isn't it in the plains, the Great Plains? It is. Um, I think if you drew certain maps, part of it is, part of it isn't. But um, yeah. culturally speaking, it's not Midwest. Wait, what, Oklahoma City, Tulsa? Yeah. And Both. those are a little more, you know, you have some city people, but then you have plenty of people that are just like as southern as someone in Georgia. Yeah. You know? So culturally, I moved to L.A. I meet Midwesterners all the time. I'm like, that's not, you're so different that's from me. That's not me, right? When I meet with a southerner, I'm like, that's, I feel way at home there. So it's kind of like, um, you know, there's two dialects of Oklahoma. There's, there's two kind of like prevalent cultures. Yeah. You get some people from Tulsa, for instance, we're getting ready to go there next week. And they had the, like they have the Southern Hills, they had the PGA last year. And you have these Tulsa, like educated elites, you know, that are very snooty and, you know, make sure they don't have an accent. Then you have majority of people in Oklahoma that do and are pretty Southern. Yeah. And their values and their personality. So when you meet someone, because you've been in L.A. for how long now? 11 years. Right. So, yeah, a minute. So when you run into someone in L.A. who's from Oklahoma, first of all, does that happen often? Every now and then, yeah. Uh, now and then. Like yeah. twice a year, four times a year? Maybe a couple times a year. A couple yeah. times a year. Is it like uh, eyebrows up or like eyebrows down? <laughs> um it just depends on the individual i don't think about where they're from so much or just immediately go oklahoma let me correlate 
all those things from that state with this person. I just go, who are you as a person? If you're cool, you're cool. If you're not, you're not. So I don't, I don't, I don't think I dig that deep. Um, but you know, there's a familiarity. But yeah, for anyone that wants to get mad, say Oklahoma's the Midwest. I'm like, I, it's it's really not at all. Yeah, it's very Southern in culture. Um, and you, you know, you go 20 minutes outside of Oklahoma City, and I'm like, you know, it, it's, you know. It's absolute country people right yeah. there. You gonna tell me that's a Midwest accent right there? Doesn't Is that sound Midwest like it. No, right there? Doesn't sound like it. No, it doesn't because yeah. it's not. You know, it, it sounds I, a little bit. I mean, I guess like, I guess Texas is in the South. Yeah. Maybe that's where it kind of ends. Maybe it's Oklahoma, Texas, and that's the last ones in on the West. Yeah, and that's the way I look at it. Right, we barely make that cutoff depending yeah. on what map you look at. Um, Texas and Oklahoma are like the same culture. And, and kind of like any line that's geographically drawn to differentiate a state or a country, it's like like Tijuana and San Diego, right? It's like, okay, we're, there's a little bit of a blur. Yeah, there's a little bit of a blur. And, you know, again, these are just lines that people arbitrarily drew on a map. And those lines don't really matter. It comes down to, at the end of the day, I think it comes down to like the culture yeah. of that state. Yeah, And we're not... I would not say we're we're Midwest at all. I meet Midwest people all the time, and they're very lovely, yeah, and wonderful, and like you know when I when I, I think of like uh, Mon or Minnesota, I yeah, that's that's the Midwest, right? So uh, so you're in Oklahoma. You're growing up. You you uh, what's first? You want to be a comedian or you want to like uh, make golf your life? Um, I mean, I grew up playing golf when I was a teenager, but then I was in college and I was running a pedicab company. Oh, cool. And you've seen those in Austin. Yeah, yeah, we have those. Yeah. And selling ads and stuff like that. And then, um, Oh, you like started it. Uh, I didn't start it, but I started running it about a year into it. You weren't, you weren't pedaling the cabs. I was, you, I was doing that too. You were, you, you had multiple facets of your job. So Napoleon's out there on the front lines with his soldiers kind of thing. <laughs> That's a weird analogy to use for someone who's driving a tricycle around. <laughs> what, a, what a wild analogy, yeah, right? I guess. Yeah. I mean, you know, um, whatever it takes, right? Yeah. So um, I'm running this and then I was also doing it because the money, you know, the money's good doing it like during college game days. I mean, 700 bucks on one ride one time. What? And then I'd make 13, 1400 in a day doing 12 hour shifts. And it was brutal. It's incredible money. Uphills, downhill. I mean, it's it was physically brutal. But then also managing it um, and use that to pay my way through part of college. And then um, had a problem with a business partner and uh, it fell through. He thought Oklahoma was the Midwest. <laughs> you're like, you're like, I cannot get past this. I, no, it's not, dude. Culturally, it's you felt differently about the, the, the brand yeah, yeah, the branding of it, and we got into an argument, and you know, and it was just no, this is not the Midwest. This is the Mid South. Yeah. So, did you leave or did they leave? I did because I knew it was like this isn't going to work. So then, that was my future, and I had this, you know, this business and entrepreneur future planned ahead for myself. And then it was like, fuck, where do we go from here? And right around that time, I think it was, I guess. It was my first senior year of college. Um, nice. It's better the second time, right? Yeah. I, I was a five and a half year guy. Um, so 
right around that time. I was class clown in high school, fraternity clown, class clown of the whole campus, everywhere I went. And everyone I knew was just kind of like, hey, dude, you should try stand-up. And I was always like, no, no, I'm not doing it. Why did you not want to try it? Because being the funniest guy in your group of friends and everywhere you go is one thing, but being funny as a stand-up is a thousand times harder because you have to really understand the human condition. It's a lot more complicated. You have to get in front of an audience of all strangers. You don't know any of them. You don't know what their sense of humor is, and they all come from different backgrounds. So to make all of them laugh in unison is way more difficult than your friends. And I was intimidated. So I wasn't going to do it. Went to visit a buddy in Austin. We're on, a, a, was it 6th Street, I think? It's not there anymore, but there was a place called the Velveeta Room. And uh, there's a, an open mic sign up. He's like, come on, do it. And I'm like, no, I'm not, I'm not doing that. No, absolutely not. I'm funny, but this is ridiculous. Come on, do it, man. I'm like, no, I'm not doing it. He's like, come on. I'm like, I'm not doing it, okay? I'm not doing stand-up. He's like, all right, dude. Jesus, all right. Let's let's just go get a drink. We go to the Coyote Ugly down the street and didn't know what he was doing. And he's just buying me shots of Jaeger. He's like, fine, let's just forget about it and have fun tonight. Buys me like six shots of Jaeger. And he's like, hey, hey, what do you, uh, bless you, by the way, what do you think about doing stand-up? I was like, I mean, let's, let's do it, dude. Went down there, wrote a set out in a napkin, and I it was not that funny. It wasn't very good, but I got one laugh, and that's all I needed. And I went to Cap City Comedy two days later, which I don't think's there anymore, two legendary Austin clubs, and then I got two laughs. And then I came back to Oklahoma City where there's there's essentially no scene. There's a music open mic, and that's all I had. There's nowhere to perform. There's a music open mic there in Norman, Oklahoma. I got to get up, dude. And I got this itch. So I get up and first probably, it was once a month, three to four months, bombed, bombed. They're there to see music. They don't They don't want me there. And after about six months, I, I started learning crowd work and started getting the, the getting it down. And then after eight months, um, I smashed a set and a band was there and they were like, dude, that was great. We're from Nashville and we're touring. Do you want to come with us? And this is right around when I'm graduating college. I'm like, I got nothing going on, nothing planned for my future, but I know I love making people laugh. So I go with this band out of Nashville and we're all in this little VW band. There's four of them and me sleeping out of it for a month touring. And they had a tour manager who took their money and ran away with it and didn't end up booking these venues and gigs. So we had to show up to these towns and try to just find venues and play for just tips. And we're all sleeping in this van every night. I was so broke and had zero dollars to my name. I remember during the daytime we were hungry, we'd go to Walmarts and I would shop and I would get donuts from the bakery section, eat them while I was pretending to shop. And that's how I would eat. Um, and a couple times we had like steal coffee and stuff like that and sleeping out of a van and this is, you know, and, and doing shows for music crowds and stuff like that at a skate park, at a barn, the most random gigs. And I remember like, this is, you know, this is gritty and going, sign me up, sign me up. It's either New York or LA. Let's, let's take it to the next level. 
not really knowing what I'm doing with my life, didn't think it through. So I moved to L.A. 11 years ago because uh, friends said he had me a job at the comedy store. Get there? Nope. And then I am freaking out. Got to get a job. I finally, like a weekend, get a job at a uh, Indian restaurant because I had lied on my resume and said I worked at three Indian restaurants in Oklahoma. There aren't even three Indians in Oklahoma. So two days later, I got fired. And I'm freaking out. I'm I'm like a <clears throat> I'm at a Kmart buying pillows, and I just broke down and cried. And so the apartment I got, I had three hundred dollars in my name. It was off Craigslist. The dude would stay on his couch, and I would take his room. And um, we get to know each other, and he starts basically flirting with me and tells me he's gay. I'm like, hey, I don't have a problem. I don't care who you are or what you do, and is just upset with me immediately that that I'm I don't know what's going on but there's some weird he gets mad at me when I tell him like I don't you know I I'm, I'm straight and there's a weird energy going on there. I don't know what's going on. So from then on for the next week, every night I come home from gigs, the dude just yells at me when I come home. And I'm like, "What is going on? I don't know what's going on, but I've never been more uncomfortable in my life. I don't have a job coming home to a really uncomfortable home." about a week he just throws my stuff out the window and i'm like what is i didn't sign a lease i don't have a leg to stand on i'm now sleeping out of my car and jobless in la and i remember printing out resumes in a kinko's parking lot and crying and i'm just like dude this is a tough town and shortly after i got a job at working at like a hospital making sure all these accounts were uh, utilizing and recycling used medical products. Didn't love the job, but it's paying the bills while I, was, while I was doing comedy. And that job got better every year. And then finally this bigger company uh, took over. And this is like a, a Fortune 20 company. And so I'm like eight years into comedy or, or, or nine years into comedy, whatever it is. This job's amazing. People would kill to work at this company. And, you know, I've been grinding my ass off doing comedy for a long time. And at this point, this is this I'm fast forward years later and just I I had grinded so hard in L.A. since I got there doing comedy for years and spun my wheels. I hadn't gotten anywhere. And. Years of doing that with a day job, I have uh, I have this job at the hospital, and then basically the company, the bigger company, merges, and they're like, "Hey, we need you to work this much and take over all these accounts." If I'm if I'm to stay with this job and do this, I'm pretty much going to have to cancel out comedy. I have a cushy financial future. My family would be feel safe, like. My dating life would be good. It's a good future. It's safe. It's smart. And there was this crossroads where it was like, I got to make a decision real fast. Like, I've been spinning my wheels getting nowhere in comedy. And I have this opportunity for a safe life. It's the smart play and it's what I should do. But deep down, I was like, I can't look at myself in the mirror when I'm 70 and go, what if you would have chased your dream? to be an artist what if you'd have done that I can't do that and I just like I know what I'm good at in life and like how I would benefit society most and it's not doing this 
So I guess I'm a crazy person. I'm going to quit this job and I'm going to continue to pursue this path of comedy where the odds are stacked against me and I've failed for year after year. And like, I'm a crazy person to continue to doing this and giving up safety. And by giving up the safety, I'll probably never get back to a job like that. So this is terrifying. This is a terrifying proposition. So I give that up immediately. Like I'm struggling financially. And so I'm like, I got to get a job that's flexible. So I go do delivery for Grubhub and walk dogs. Immediately, like a girl dumps me. My family's like pretty upset with me. Like, why did you do that? You're an idiot. Um, I had some friends like, what are you, why are you doing this? Like you're, you're still doing comedy. Like you're out of your mind. So I'm, I'm delivering Grubhub walking dogs for several years and just there in, and I, I'd gone out for commercial auditions and I'd had several agents tell me like <clears throat> diversity is very popular right now. You're a straight white dude. Like there's just not spots for you. So you add that into the, add that factor into the equation. And it's like, my odds are dwindling even further. This is terrifying. And I'm like, did I make the wrong decision to quit that job? Like I'm walking dogs and I'm also delivering food. Like doing this for about three years. I just remember going, I I can't, I can't do this anymore. I don't, I don't, know if I can do this anymore. This is just, I'm, my soul is crushed every morning when I wake up. I'm depressed. I'm drinking too much. Like, this is, this is awful. My existence is miserable. I don't know what to do. I don't know where to go. But I think maybe I made the wrong call and should have stayed with that job. This is insane. This is horrible. This is your life. You've done this. You made your bed. And I'm just like, I don't know. Maybe I should just throw in the towel and figure something out and move back to Oklahoma. And right about when I'm shutting the door, right when, I forget his name, Justin Vernon of um, Bon Iver. Bon Iver had this incredible interview. He goes, I was grinding as a musician and year after year got nowhere and I just finally threw in the towel and said I guess I'll go back and teach music and that's where my career took off I had thrown in the towel and said I don't know what to do I've busted my ass for so long I produced and ran 15 shows over the years and performed all over the world I did two international tours over the years and gotten nowhere and I was just like I just don't think this worked out and that's when I got a phone call from Jake Adams and I didn't know Jake very well. We'd done open mics together. And uh, I frankly, I didn't think he liked me. I just thought we were so different. Right. And different personalities. I think he, I, I, this is my, you know, this is me reading into it too much, but I think he thought I was some jock douchebag or something. And when he saw me, I got that vibe because I got that vibe from a lot of comics. And I'm like, that's not who I am. I'm a douchebag, but I'm not a good athlete. But I... Jake calls me and goes, hey, you know, I know I know you do comedy and golf. We've talked about it a little bit, but this company calls me and is like, do you want to go on this RV tour and film content? And I'm like, I'm sort of quitting comedy, so I got nothing to lose, but sure. And then he calls a bunch of people, and I think he called Mark like 15 times, and Mark didn't answer because he thought it was a bill collector. So finally, Mark and Blake, we get all of them, and then we show up 
to this golf course, like not really knowing each other. I'd met Mark two years before doing stand up at a furniture store. So we'd already kind of liked each other a little bit. And we got in this RV again, no expectations. And there's immediate chemistry. I'm like, this is awesome. We're all like, maybe we should go back and do some podcasts. No expectations. Just riding this wave out. Podcast is great. We open up an Instagram page. We're like, let's keep seeing where this goes. And then we find the back off challenge. And then it was like, we f- we found something. And I, Jake knew it. I knew it. We found something special here. And I'm like, I, I don't. I was just about to quit looking at a very, very, very dire future. And this this may be this one last shot. This is your this is your only and maybe one way out. This is this this crazy lightning in a bottle situation where you're about to quit. You know what? This this might be an opportunity here. So I'm gonna fully commit and eat, sleep, and breathe this thing to try to make it work. I don't know if it's gonna happen. And then here we are, two and a half years later, and making a living as a comedian i'm the happiest i've ever been and you know getting to have this platform to make the the reason i love comedy there's a little bit of a backstory i really love comedy is first six years seven years of comedy i was doing comedy and getting on stage like a lot of comedians it was for validation it was for vanity i need the attention to fill void and i was touring south africa and I just did a casino gig and smashed best, best set of my life. And then a comedian comes up. He goes, hey, we got to leave. Remember you booked another gig. We got to leave. I'm like, oh, shit, man. I was riding on cloud nine. And he takes me about two hour drive to what's called a township and giant villages of 10 shacks on the dirt and like abject African poverty. And I'm like, what is going on here? And we drive in and there's this giant kind of room on a dirt floor in this tin shack that they've made this events room and they've got these these makeshift um floodlights they use for this weird little stage and i go up in front of 500 africans and i'm just this white dude that grew up in oklahoma that like is like uh, grew up playing golf and stuff like middle class what am i gonna say to these people to relate to them there's nothing I can say to these people. This this is uh, this is awful. I'm terrified. Five minutes in, I'm bombing, bombing, and my brain stops because sometimes on stage as comedians, we just stop and think while we're still talking. And I'm like, you know why you're bombing? It's not because you're not funny. It's because you're doing this for you. You scumbag. These people don't have running water and electricity, and they don't have anything. They have to wake up every day and deal with poverty where there's very little hope of getting out of this. And you're on stage, this white guy with an iPhone 6, and this is about you? You're a scumbag. What is wrong with you? This is what's going on in my head as I'm still talking. And I'm like, how about, look at these people. They have nothing. How about, here's here's a novel idea. How about this set from now on is about them? And it's, a, and it's an act of service. How about we do comedy, and it's who cares if you bomb, but at least from, from then on, how about the goal is not about vanity or to be funny. The goal is to make them forget about their life. 
I drop my act. I start doing crowd work. I just start thinking of stuff off the top of my head, and they start laughing. And it's it it that show for the I don't know next fifteen minutes. They're laughing and having a great time afterwards. We took pictures, hung out with the people, wonderful people. Afterwards, that set was like a turning point and impacted me because it was like this joy came over me of I'm doing comedy for a different reason now. It's so much more fulfilling to do comedy to make this crowd, whoever's in front of me, forget about the problems in their life for 30 minutes, however long I'm on stage. If you can forget about that afterwards, you just went through a brutal breakup and nothing will get your mind off that. But if I can get up there and make you forget about that, that to me is the most fulfilling thing in the world. And my favorite definition of comedy or laughter that I ever read was uh, laughter is um, tangible evidence of hope. And that was really powerful to me. And when I can get up there to people, and for from Country Club adjacent, we've had a good amount of people realize, uh, message us. I'm really depressed, or I was in the hospital going through some shit. You guys, I found your videos. You guys got me through this week or this month or whatever. And to get to have the platform that we do and to know that we're doing that, that is very fulfilling. To go from two and a half years ago with a very dim future and pretty much throwing in the towel to know I have this platform I can make people a lot happier for however long they're watching our content is like I'm not taking that for granted for one second and somehow that has led me to being on your podcast I am a huge fan of you and it is genuinely an honor to be here with you genuinely an honor because I remember two and a half years ago I was a big Anthony Bourdain fan big time and when I started to get into the golf content I had written this TV show script even had a writer I outsourced it to of this Anthony Bourdain travel style comedy show and then I saw Adventures in Golf and I wasn't even mad <laughs> I wasn't even mad like son of a bitch somebody did it first I was this was my baby okay this is my baby project I was dead set on I see your show wasn't an ounce or a fiber of my being that was mad. I go, touche. This guy nailed it. So never. That's not that. That was that. That ship sailed immediately. That's exactly how I would have done it. That guy nailed it. I don't think I could have done it even close to as good as him. This guy's an incredible host. This guy has an incredible energy. Really brings you to this place and paints this picture you know, talks to the the host of that country just like Bortain would have. And I'm like, all right, well, there you go. That is, uh, this guy nailed it. And that is incredible. I have nothing but respect for this guy. And, you know, there's so many aspects to doing what you're doing in that show. And it's not just being a good host. It's telling a story and and understanding the game of golf and that culture in a way that was like, not anybody could do that. Anybody could do it that well. Like it takes a, a very talented person to do a show like that and to do it that well. So it was just like, bravo, bravo to this guy. Thanks, Griff. Wow. Um, I'm talking too much because I had a cold brew. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, I got excited. I get excited and then it's just like I, I my ADHD zones in and I block everything out and I get hyper focused. No, it's good. I, I'm sorry about that. I actually was just entertained. Like honestly, it was funny. I was actually like, "This is 
it's a it's a great riff and uh and i enjoyed it and i was entertained the whole time and i was like i actually don't think any of this needs to be cut down <laughs> so so uh yes you talked a while but you also said a lot of different things so i i kind of want to go um back though and I, I, there's like four things i want to kind of dig into um right after this break <laughs> yeah we'll go to a quick break we'll go to a quick break but i want to unpack um the moment um you know that moment of letting go I want to unpack the moment of um, making it not about you and uh, and then two others. So we'll, we'll get to that in two seconds. We're going to just go to a quick ad break. Cool. Um, so, um, yeah, I think for me the most interesting thing is like, what is it about, like, what are you letting go of when you're like, I'm going, you know, obviously you're letting go of the dream. You're letting go of that idea of being validated as xyz successful person um but like on some level like i i guess my experience if i can share for a minute is that you know um you know i was a photographer then i got into videos and then i got into golf and then all of a sudden i was making these golf videos i never wanted to be on camera all of a sudden i was in front of the camera basically the these like wild circumstances of my life that have got me here which i'm tremendously uh, proud and grateful for, um, were none of the things that I wanted. Right. So I don't know for me, and it wasn't really about giving up. It was more about, um, kind of like musical chairs for me. You know what I mean? It was like, Oh, well, I guess I, I guess, uh, yeah, I, I, I have, uh, an empty plate or a plate with some food on it. I'll choose the plate with food on it, Alex, and let's go down that pathway. So for you, um, you know, so I never really had, this experience of like, oh, this isn't going to work. I just had like, oh, well, what can work is going to be different than I thought. And I'm, I'm okay with that. That's a better way to go about it. <laughs> That's a much smarter way to build a career. Perhaps. I think at the time I didn't really know even what was happening. I think it was just, uh, maybe I was starting, I, I don't really know, but I'm, I'm just curious to know about this, like giving up place and like, um, why is that so fruitful? Right. You know, we talked uh, the other day about the uh, the creative act, Rick Rubin's book, and so much of that book is about letting go and stop trying to hold on to things if you're going to be an artist. Um, I think truth be told, when you're trying to force, this is really about being an artist, but when you're trying to force being an artist and you're choking it to death, it's like a relationship when you're like, like overbearing with your partner and trying to make the relationship work. It usually doesn't mm. when you just let that person be and love them for who they are relationships stronger. It's like when you're trying to force this career, it's just not working because you're putting all this pressure on yourself. Every gig I did, I didn't have fun. This gig, I have to smash this gig. Oh. There's, a, there's, there's somebody out there. Oh wait, hang on. I think I got it. Yeah. It's like showing up to the golf course and being like, today is this number. I have to shoot a 68, and guess what's going to happen? You're going to shoot an 88. <laughs> yeah, and so do you, wh tell me about your golf game, right? Is it like, how does your golf game uh, inform your life game? Because the, the golf game is just a big analogy for everything in your life. It teaches you all these amazing lessons, and just like you were kind of saying, like when you're like, I, we're going to go out and shoot 68 today, you're not. You never will. Um. You know, I, 
my best rounds have been when I'm like, I don't, I'm not trying to do anything, but have a good time. Mm. And I think kind of like with stand up, I was going out there trying to shoot a 68 on stage every time and I would do a great job, but people can sense when you're not in your, you're not having the most fun up there. Yeah. And I think that was there. I was doing well and getting the laughs, but now when I go on stage, I don't care if I eat a bag of dicks. I don't want to, but I don't. And, and I, I'm able to let go of it now. I'm like, I don't. If, if this fails, it's okay. Yeah, well, I, I think like on some level, like, uh, you know, comedians, um, you don't really, um, you know, it's that whole tree falls thing. Like you, you, you're, if your goal is to make people happy or entertain them or make them laugh, you, you require people for the equation to function. Right. right. You're, no, no one goes into stand up alone. Yeah. And you know what I mean? It's about the receiver. Yeah. And so it kind of makes sense that crowd work is interesting to you, but like kind of, um, so by that logic, you have a collaborative process. Yeah. Right. You, you have like, like golf. I mean, you can't, I, I suppose your, your golf is a collaboration with like the ball and the club and the course. Yeah. So it's like good, good, good bounce, bad bounce. Cool. That's golf. Yeah. So, you know, like this, this, like for this collaboration to work, it's so many unknowns. You have to kind of, um, enjoy the process or else. I mean, if you're not making a ton of money or if you're not like, you know, mandated to do it, by some type of court, which would be a strange court if they mandated you to do stand up, which could be an interesting <laughs> punishment. But you know what I mean? Like you, you, you have to enjoy the process and it sounds like that's kind of where you got to. Yeah. Now, now it's, um, stand up's fun now. Cause I'm like, I don't need it. That's the difference. I needed it and I needed it to work. And that's where you put yourself where you're suffocating it and you're suffocating your art. It doesn't work. But when I'm like, I don't need it anymore. So this is it, it now when it feels like a hobby, I'm funnier. That's and I'm better. I mean, not, not needing it also kind of to me smells like confidence. You know, you're like, cool, well, I'm good either way. You know what I mean? It's like when you go into a negotiation, if you don't need the deal, yeah. You're like, well, yeah, take it or leave it, right? I'm good. Yeah. And that that was the key to me getting better and growing and breaking through as a stand up. But it's like building your life in a way where you don't need it. So let's go back to this um, idea of like not um, not telling the jokes for you. How is that? That sounds like really profound. And I'm curious to know like, um, you know, how that, because I, I fall into the same trap. Like we'll be shooting something and, you know, uh, sometimes I'll do these videos where I like <laughs> show up and say I'm going to shoot a certain score. Right. And, um, you know, uh, Usually the first portion is harder for me to remember that, uh, you know, I'm here for uh, a, a purpose greater than me actually shooting that score. That's like a bit. Yeah. And the idea that I get so caught up in the bit is kind of ironic in and of itself. It's like I'm almost fooling myself into this thing that like, yeah, I don't really typically go out to the golf course on a day off and say, Okay, it's an 82 or it's an angry day. Right. And like this and so usually though towards the second half of the round during these like breaking series videos like I'll usually I'll usually personally go through a break. I'll like I'll like break away 
from the thesis of the show and just say, fuck it, man. Like, I'd actually be curious to know, like, back nine, front nine, probably play a little better on the back nine because I, kind of similar to you on stage, it's like maybe a little bit less temporaneous. Like, it's not as, you know, in the moment with people looking at me, but it's more like, okay, well, you know, might as well just have fun. The, uh, the context that we have there is is we played for the U.S. Open this the, earlier this week, the day before we hung out with you. And it's true, Eric, on the back nine, you, I think it was hole 11 or maybe hole 12, you spoke to the camera and your energy was just, everything shifted. And then it reminded me of the year before at the country club when the rain was coming down, the course was miserable. That course is a beast. It was cold too. It was cold. And we approached like a 637 yard par five or something where the second shot to get home was, was a par four. And Eric turned to me and he was like, what are we doing? (laughs) What are we doing? (laughs) And I was like, you're a warrior. I mean, you're, you're out here just trying to survive. And then the same thing. And it, it it was this aspect of letting go, letting go of expectation of score. And uh, I would love to go back and see, I feel like you do shoot better when you, it's not giving in, but it's like letting yourself go. Yeah, it's kind of like it's kind of like you know. And actually, Francis is uh, one of our friends in Austin, who's a golf coach. And um, I remember we were doing breaking ACC, and he was caddying for me. And I remember it didn't make it into the camera. We weren't we weren't near a camera at the time, but we were around um, you know, the middle of the back nine or early early back nine holes. And you know, he's a very spiritual dude, and he kind of looked at me and was like. Um, dude, it's so cool that you get to share this experience with people who will never play here. Yeah. And like, you know, like how quickly our, our comfort level with new surroundings changes, Yep. you know? And so it was like, Oh, right. Yeah. Fuck. Yeah. Of course. Of course. Like the idea that when I got into golf that I would play any private course was like remarkable. And then the, but to think like a couple weeks before a tournament anyway. So it was a really interesting, the idea of reframing is kind of what I'm getting at. And, yeah. and it seems like that happened like very poetically for you. Like I'm seeing a movie, right? Like this kind of comedian, like down on, down on his performance. And then all of a sudden realizes that the entire structure internally of the, of the why has been wrong. Yeah. And then it's like, I can see it changing and I can see that wide shot and you're just like, huh. and then all of a sudden you just, you walk out into new territory. Yeah. And it, well, it happened, you know, in the moment on stage in front of a crowd, it happened right then and there. And it was just like, because I think that subconsciously there was this emptiness when I would perform and just it, it, it almost as a human being as a whole, there was an emptiness there. Of just like, yeah, I just smashed and I I need to get another set. And it was just like, what, it, what, what, there's a void there and I don't know what it is. I can't put my finger on it. And I'm a human being. There's, the, like everybody else, we all have our faults. And there's, there's, there's a paradox going on within myself. Uh, sometimes I can be a very selfish person. And, but deep down, I love making people happy. And, you know, I'm an empath and love helping people. So sometimes those clash and there's both of those going on in my head. And once I clicked in and realized that when I realized, um, the, 
Uh, my alarm's going off back there. Um, <laughs> once, once I realized and had that, that light bulb go off and realized, wait a minute, you can and should be performing for them, not you. It should be an act of service, not an act of validation. Then there was this immediate like weight off my chest. And the empath side of me, the person who wants to help other people, like felt very enriched. And that side of me is much more powerful. Once that side is really listened to and taken care of, I'm like, deep down, this is really who you are. And it's a battle going on. The selfish side of me sometimes takes over and this duality. And sometimes I have to battle that. Sometimes I have to catch it and it's always going to be there. And, you know, but deep down I'm happiest and I'm my best when I'm doing things for other people and I'm doing comedy using what I know best and what I'm best at making people laugh for them. And when, when the why comes into play, why you're making people laugh shifts, that's going to shift your comedy too. And so when I go on stage and I'm thinking of them, that kind of shifts like what comes out of my mouth. And it's kind of exciting because I'm like, you can't think about it. I just want you to go out there and talk in a way that it's for them. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious to know, like I, I would, I can see like a comedy tour held at golf clubs. Yep. Like, is that an idea? Have you, you guys have yes, thought about that, we've, right? We've definitely thought about that and tinkered around with a bunch of different ideas because you know, Mark's doing comedy full time and I'm doing gigs here and there, not that many. And, uh, you know, Blake, I think, would play some music and I'm, I'm not so sure about Jake. You call him Blake. Uh, I, I'm confused. <laughs> His name is Aristotle, but I've, I've gotten in such a bad habit that I'm like, it's fucking Blake at this point. Blake's I call, easier. I call, call him Blake. Blake. I, you call him Stotts. Stotts or Blake sometimes. Weber. Yeah, but I, usually it's just Blake or He's Blark. He's like a blurk. Blark. Blark Weavens. I think it's a problem. I'll say it. I, I'm I'm I we recorded a podcast with him yesterday. I don't know how to title it. Just say Blake. He doesn't care. Blake vapes. Blake. I'm gonna say Aristotle Blake. Yeah. Weber vapes. Whatever his Blake, George yeah, is Blake vapes. Yeah, and he's, he's becoming just, Blake vapes. He, he started his own <laughs> only fan. Blake vapes becoming the hater. Um, what do you think is the funniest thing about uh, social media right now? You you spend you spend a good bit of your you know. Your a good bit of uh, you know our livelihood kind of like derives from social media. What, what what do you think is like kind of funny about it? Oh, that's easy. How people take shit too seriously online now, and and stuff has shifted over the years. And over COVID, I noticed a lot of things changed online, like just people feeling like they now the platform to be an asshole in the comments a little more than it was before. Just like who. Like, don't go say that stuff. Don't be that guy. You're just a miserable human being. Don't try to make everyone else miserable. So <clears throat> it's how serious people take stuff. I'm like, dude, this is, we're creating content in, in 30 second videos. Relax. Don't take this too seriously. It's social media. Like after the Masters, uh, Jake had tweeted, because of the Patrick Cantley debacle, Jake had tweeted, just found out Patrick Cantley is paid by the hour by Goldman Sachs. Funny joke. Obviously, he's not, but it's like talking about Goldman Sachs because he played so slow. Some dude comments, source. And I'm like, guys, 
you gotta relax. I, I can tell you're taking your life too seriously if you made that comment. Wait, so he's uh, what was the what was the Goldman Sachs debacle? Pat, Patrick uh, Cantley played slow during the Masters, and he's sponsored by Goldman Sachs. So he's sponsored by Goldman Sachs. Why is that a? Why is that a? He p- played. Remember, he played so slow during the Masters. Right. It was a problem. Okay. Why does Goldman Sachs matter? Well, because that's a sponsor. Right, but so, why does that matter? So we were just talking about how uh, we just found out, you know, obviously the reason he played so slow okay. is because he's getting paid hourly by a sponsor. But the, but the controversy had nothing to do with his sponsor. It was just that he played slow. Yeah. Did we're he just get fined? Making, we're just making fun of the Did fact go- that he played so slow. Yeah, no, there, there wasn't really controversy. There's a bunch of people on Twitter who were making fun oh, of him for making... Twitter? Yeah. Oh wow, you crazy dog. Yeah, yeah. we're 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 off the. You got to put in. Uh, do you wear a blindfold when you look at Twitter? <laughs> I Fuck should. Yeah, hell, it's man. a cesspool. It's a cesspool. Um, it's, but after Elon, it's getting much better. Yeah. Now, because yeah. now anyone can get that blue tick that they wanted. Yeah. You know that's good. Yeah, we, that's really we, good. We support democracy. Yeah. Yeah, democracy, it's really good. Or is it cap- especially if you have cap- to pay for it. Capitalism. <laughs> it's only like five bucks a month. Eight dollars right? a month. Yeah. It's cheaper than Netflix. That's, yeah. There you go. True. I would like to get verified on Netflix. A verified watcher? You want yeah. people to know what you're watching on Netflix? Actually, I sometimes get concerned that people can see what I'm listening to on Spotify. Yeah. Same. And I've been caught. And sometimes sometimes I listen to weird stuff. You know? uh, yeah, yeah. You would hate to be like going somewhere and someone to text you and be like, hey, you, that's the fourth time you've listened to Love Yourself by Justin Bieber today. 40th. 40th. Sorry. Add a zero. I, I have no shame. Do you like Bieber? Uh, in saying Do you like I'm, Bieber? I'm big into K-pop now. No, no, absolutely. What's your no most uh, like embarrassing track that you just play? Like, for me, you know what I like? I like uh, I like that song from um, A Star Is Born. Oh, shallow. Yeah. In the shallow. That shit bangs, dude. I live to that, and I get kind of like sad pumped. Have you seen too. the uh, Oscars performance? No. It's a. It's quite a watch. Here's they the thing. I mean, Bradley Cooper sang. He sure did. And I think about that when I listen. Yeah, he sang, and then uh, he sang with Lady Gaga live, and they just the camera just kept panning to Bradley Cooper's like wife at the time. Yeah, and she was just smiling, holding it. And you know what, Griff? Bradley Cooper didn't sing for himself. He sang for someone else. Yeah, I don't know who. Maybe his agent. <laughs> he sang for the story. Yeah, he sang for that. Story. Who's your favorite actor? It always shifts, but right now it's Pedro Pascal. Solid. That guy's you and everybody else. Talk yeah. about a guy. That is just on fire and probably he's probably got a great story because he didn't really start to pop off till what is he in his fifties? He probably didn't start to pop off till his mid forties. So that meant he was grinding as an actor for probably two decades with very little to show. And then boom, it's Narcos, then it's Mandalorian, then it's uh, uh, Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones. You a Game of Thrones guy? Yeah, yeah, I like it. Good. I don't, I don't, you know, it's not like Die Hard or anything. No tattoos. No, nothing like that. Yeah, not yet. I'm watching Game of Thrones. And I and it, <laughs> yes. No, no. When I was, oh, okay. when I was watching Game of Thrones, at this massive crush on Amelia Clark, the dragon, um, and massive crush on her. And we go golfing with this buddy in Ojai, and he, uh, his dad is a famous actor, Malcolm McDowell. I know, I know him. I know yeah. Malcolm. Yeah. And, and, and oh, what, so you're talking about Chris. His brother. So his son. Uh, Charles. His son, Finn. His brother, um, Charlie. Charlie McDowell, yeah. And I'm just. He's your friend? Uh, no, we haven't met. But I'm telling um, my buddy Finn, I'm like, man, I got the biggest crush of him watching Game of Thrones. He goes, oh, yeah, my brother dated Amelia Clark. Peak Game of Thrones. Yeah. And I'm like, what? 
this is incredible. But um, we went golfing with Malcolm one day. He also dated, coincidentally, he also dated the girl with the dragon tattoo. Whoa. Uh, wow. Rooney Mara. Or Rooney Mara, yeah. So there's a, clearly Charlie has like a dragon thing. Yeah, yeah. It's it's less about the girls, more about the dragon. It's more about the role. Oh. You know, he, he's a director, so he's ultimately casting. I wonder if they date him because he must know something about dragonology or something. Yeah, he's got some insight. He's not doing it for himself. <laughs> that must be what it is. Yeah, what would be next on his uh, dragon hit list? I don't know. Is there any other? I don't know. I mean, we saw this movie last act, night where there was some fire. voice actor from Dragon Ball Z. It has maybe, to be uh, next in line. <laughs> maybe like Benedict Cumberbatch. He played Smog. <laughs> Smog. Yeah. yeah. I didn't yeah. We, we went out golfing with Malcolm one day, and uh, and I thought his son had told him I was going to dress up as Alex DeLarge from Clockwork Orange, but he didn't. So on the third tee box, I just start getting dressed, and Finn's like, oh, yeah, by the way, Dad, he's going to dress up as your guy from Clockwork Orange. And if Malcolm's like, well, I don't know if I want to get in a car with someone dressed like that. And he's just very old British guy. You know, my God. So I dressed as him with the, the cup, the bowler hat, the white outfit with the boots, just sitting in a cart riding with him, asking him about, you know, behind the scenes stuff. Were you stuff. playing golf? Yeah. And were you filming it? Yeah. It's on our YouTube, and I think I there's a little bit of cart cam, and I'm like, what are some things that people don't know? And he's like, well, that scene where I had my eyes propped up. Uh, actually, Stanley Kubrick scratched my cornea, but, you know, back in those days, you didn't have insurance as an actor, so you just had to deal with it. So, that you know, that was really interesting. And I was just like, this is, in college, it was my favorite movie. And that guy carried, he was Clockwork Orange. So to be in a cart dressed as him, talking about that movie while he's telling me about it is like again that's why i'm so grateful to be here i was about to give up comedy and now here i am with some of my idols in a cart dressed as them talking to them and here i am on a podcast with somebody i have immense respect for it's just crazy it's crazy when you let go of things how things come to you yeah there's a law of there's there must be some science behind it yeah i think the more you want it the further away it gets Yes. Yeah. Who's your favorite actor right now? My favorite actor right now? Wow, good question. Um, I mean, I mean, I'm really loving. Uh, I actually really like Kendall in uh, Secession. Right where I was going. Yeah. Jeremy Strong. Yeah, I feel like uh, I, I was going like, to go Kieran, but yeah, I think also I'm obviously talking about the character that the actor is portraying. Are you into Secession? I'm like one of five people that hasn't watched it. All I know is that I was blown away when I found out the lead actor was Scottish. I'm like, damn, he's good. Yeah. Uh, there's And the other two are British. What? Yeah, man. Sorry, i got to take my medicine right now. Um, <laughs> doctor prescribed. Doctor prescribed. Biggest so, tower of Zen I've ever seen in my life at the Friday Beers office. Impress it. Now, I'm getting yeah. ready to go to Scotland in a few weeks. Yeah, come and, prepared. Don't, don't, don't sleep. Well, no. They have 18 milligrams. That's a lot. In the airport, buy a bunch of those. Sweden apparently has 50 millis. They call them Pablos. Yeah, that's... Uh, Basically quaaludes. What's yeah, going on Yeah, you might need there? to like wrap it in gauze so that it doesn't burn your lip. <laughs> that's a what? lot. That's a lot of information being downloaded. 50 milligrams is like something, something went wrong. It's like when you shove you, like an HDMI cord into a USB port. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Something went wrong. Like you, you had a bad divorce or something went wrong in your childhood for 50 milligrams. Yeah. You know what's funny is the Swedes are, uh, you know, on the face of it, 
pretty chill. But now that I know that they're all rocking like 10 times the United States limit of nicotine, that's uh maybe that maybe that points to something. They're just they're just like holding on for dear life, you know. <laughs> it's just like they're all like on a, like an internal roller coaster. And that's why they like take so much time responding. <laughs> um all right, well cool, man. Uh any questions for me, Griff? Um you are a, one of my favorite content creators and just human beings in general. And I want to know, you're the type of artist and very driven guy that's always trying to grow and evolve, right? You strike me as that type. And like, what, what do you, like, what's something that you want to do? Like, how do you want to evolve into the next stage of your career? Yeah, good, a uh, good, great question. Um, how do I want to evolve into the next stage? I mean, not, you know, I could ask the surface level question and go, what's next? What's your next big project? But that really all funnels into what's the next evolution of your career look like? What do you want to evolve into in the next stage? Yeah. Yeah. So like uh, my favorite quote has always been uh, Andy Warhol. And he said, good business is the best art. And I think for most of my life, um, I've always been more of a creative type, more of a visual type. I love, I like writing, you know, I like, uh, I like taking photographs. I like looking at things that are beautiful. I like clothing. Um, I like nature. I like visual experiences that are kind of consumable by like, you know, multiple senses, right? Um, you know, the way a shirt feels, the way it fits, you know, the way it looks, the, w the way, the way it like expresses, whatever. And, um, you know, I think, uh, I've never, I've always kind of looked at business as being something that I don't know about, something that I'm not good at and something I don't want to do. Um, but actually I found, I really like it. Um, I really enjoy the process of learning about how I can carry the things that I really care about, whether that's, um, you know, like, uh, like delivering passion for something, uh, or, um, you know, kind of having an idea able to benefit more people. Um, whether it's through like the membership that we're about to launch or whether it's through like a video that makes people feel connected to the game more or whether it's a, you know, a podcast that makes people want to go out and say, you know what, I, you know what, I'm not done. I'm going to keep going, but I'm going to keep going in a different way. You know, we, so, so I've always really connected to the, like the, the, the smell of the flower and the look of the flower, but now I'm really connecting to like the soil. How does that flower get to be how it is? It's not that you're so much interested in business. It's you're interested in figuring out how to create that thing that gives people that joy and, and gives people that community and the things that you deeply love the most. You're excited about figuring out how to make all that happen. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, on some level, like, you know, in our creative world now, we're lucky enough to be able to publish whatever we want, whenever we want, more or less for free, right? Like you can basically buy a shitty cell phone and like be very successful, right? Yeah. And, um, but you know, you only really have like a couple different m ways to measure your own success. And usually it's like, you know, coming from, you know, like, do people like it? And, and that's like fine. But there are other ways to measure value in your time on this planet. And, and there are other ways to create 
benefit in the world. And, uh, and there are other ways to make a sustainable business function. And um, whether that's through, um, you know, decisions around, you know, um, like what we do, how we do it, when we do it, why we do it, um, who does it, um, or whether it's kind of like, hey, you know, on some, on some level, operating a business is like gambling, right? Because you're saying, okay, I've got this many chips, and the chips are essentially, uh, you know, the team, you know, and it's the time, and it's the money that we have. So it's like, okay, I'm going to say, like, war strategy like i've got i've got this many materials over here i'm gonna put i'm gonna i'm gonna put 50 percent of my total materials on this because i really believe this is gonna win this other thing i don't really know but i still want to learn and so there's a lot of different data that i'm that i'm like really interested in now that's not just like well i put it out in the world and nobody liked it so it must have just had a bad thumbnail right right like i don't fucking know (laughs) so like i'm really interested to get you know, that next phase of my career is definitely more about like, how can we, you know, and we, I had a really wonderful guy on our team for years who left in the fall. He got a great opportunity and he had to kind of take the opportunity and leave random golf club. But he would always say this quote, which I think is a famous business quote, but it was like, we're not telling time, we're making clocks. And like that idea is like, how can we create a sustainable random golf club that like is able to go further than I may have ever imagined? Um, you know, like one of my favorite movies is the founder. Have you seen it? Oh God. Michael uh, Keaton, Michael Keaton is yeah. so good in that. Yeah. And so that movie's really inspiring. Cause it's like, oh wow. Like the two together made something right. It was kind of like, it was kind of like, um, you know, one idea changes and that's when it becomes lightning in a bottle. Yeah. McDonald's brothers, you know, were the seed and then he came in and watered that seed and tended that tree. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, I think, uh, I think for me, it's mostly about like learning about the inner workings of, uh, of building the business around the brand. Like, like Random Golf Club is a brand. Right. Um, and Fantastic brand. Thank you. With maybe the best merch in the game. Thank you. Well, just wait. I'm very excited. It's like, again, like, you know, it's kind of like one of these things that I've learned is like, um, you know, back in my like 20s and 30s, I could have an idea and then produce it almost instantaneously. And then in a matter of days or even hours, I could see the final product almost. And now it's like, oh, there's like a year that goes by. You have to have an idea and then you have to stay focused on that idea, keep it a top priority, and make sure that this idea also satisfies all these other needs. For example, like whatever, quantities, or is it it realistic? how do we tell that story? I mean, anyway, so really for me, it's been about learning about how to do those things that I didn't know uh, better. And that's what really inspires me, you know? Um, I mean, I love, I'm, the thing I love the most is going to events and doing those. And so I'm hoping that, you know, good work there in the, in the, in the running of the business can allow me to go to as many events as possible for like, you know, the rest of my life. Yeah, I mean, you're living an epic life. You probably... 10 years ago, wouldn't have imagined this is going to be my life. This is so cool. And what you're building at Random Golf Club is, it, I'm genuinely very excited about what you're building. And I don't get that excited about that many things in the golf world. And what you've built and what you're going to build, I'm very excited about that. This, this idea and this community, and it's just like you've created something that it wasn't just an idea. It was something that was needed. 
it was almost like there was a problem and you've become a solution and I'm just genuinely excited to sit back and just watch what you're building and where this is going to go. Like I'm just, it's so cool. Everything from the merch to being at the event the other day and just seeing the support and seeing how excited people are to be a part of this new idea, this new wave of golf. And with this new change in everything in the landscape of golf, you're, you're a part of that. You're a story within that. And you're, you're a player in, in that ensemble that's creating this new wave of golf and that's very exciting and there's no better guy to lead that you just even you giving a speech on a tee box is like this guy's good this guy's <laughs> this guy's this guy's a leader you know and, and and maybe you didn't even plan on being this leader type of guy but not you, at all. you've 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 fallen into that role and and you know you're a guy that people are like we want this this guy to lead this this movement and it's very exciting to see. Thanks, Greg. I appreciate that. The potential that it has is exciting, and we're just going to support it, you know, till the very end. Well, the feeling's mutual, man. So and it's thank one, you. and you, you, you're creating something that will last beyond when you're not here anymore. Yeah, when I die. When you die, uh, I, I don't know why I wanted to put that in such a light way. Um, <laughs> you're like damn, beating around the bush. When though, you're unalived. <laughs> um, yeah, you're creating something much bigger than yourself, and I admire that. Thank you. And and to be able to take that on is incredible. That's actually my only real goal. Like a lot of, I talk to a lot of business people all the time, and you know they're like, "Well, what's what's your goal? 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 Like, what's your long goal?" And it's like, dude, my goal is that, uh, you know, I can just get this thing set up, and then I can die. Yeah. And then this can like go and be something that provides value and benefit to individuals and communities all over the world that uh, that actually means something that, that you know, because there's so many fucking brands in the world that no one gives a shit about yep. that pay to hijack your fucking feed. And like, you know, I'm just not into it. You know, what I mean, like I'm not into that way of constructing something that's, quote unquote, a community. Right. There's so many fucking companies that talk about being a community brand. And it's like, no, dude. You just want to sell me some shit. And like, I never started any of this for that reason. And uh, I've always really wanted to make, you know, good products at an affordable price, at a fair price, and create experiences that you can't acquire on your own. Because through numbers of people, we can change the way golf is played. And you know why people resonate with your brand and what you're doing and the difference between that shit that comes up in your feed that annoys you. Here's the difference kind of comes back to that comedy those brands that are pushing that stuff are doing it for them to make a buck yeah you're doing this not for yourself to build a community and it's not about you and people resonate and they know that and this well, isn't about one person this is about what 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 this community is creating well what's funny is like actually like the idea of making a buck i actually got kind of like a a, a moment for me of of education when i was talking to mike kaiser the founder of band and dunes in Sand Valley and Cabot or whatever. And I was like, so is this like a passion project, you know, like, or is this a business? And he was like, it's a business. And I was shocked. I was like, I don't understand. Like, this is like, you've already made your money, dude. Like, how come this isn't just like a passion project? And he's like, well, no, I mean, if it's a business and it makes money, I can do more of it. Yeah. I can make more. Yeah. And, um, you know, what's cool about Band and Dunes is that we all agree. Like, fair price, incredible experience. It's everything we all wanted, right? It's not the bullshit. It's only the good stuff. Yep. And um, yeah, I mean, my goal is to, uh, you know, 
again, going back to that initial question, which is like, what's, what's the ideal learnings coming up next? It's like, how do I learn to make this thing grow on its own? Um, you know, that, that's kind of, that's kind of what I get most excited about. Like, you know, you have those like tasks that you have to do during the day. Those are the ones that I'm like really excited to sit down and think about or, or plan or talk about. Um, you know, yeah. One, one director, um, I'm blanking out on his name cause I'm losing my memory. Uh, super bad. A lot of the Seth Rogen movies, Judd Apatow, Judd Apatow, uh, has always said, I'm not trying to create some blockbusters or some mega hits or make a lot of money. I'm just trying to create a movie that's good enough that'll get me war- more work so I can keep doing this. <laughs> you know. I like that. You know. Freaks and geeks. Yeah. Well, Griffin, thank you, man. I really appreciate all your kind words and your time and uh, and your work as well. And, oh, uh, you know, I'm sure we'll find a chance to do something together very soon. Yeah. I look forward to it. Cool. This has been fantastic. Very good. And an honor. A handshake. We haven't done that in a while. To close <laughs> what, out of the show. what do we normally do? 